Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Yes, hello everybody. Matt Walsh here with another big episode of the ESPN Footy Pod. Jake Michaels, uh, nice to hear from you this Tuesday morning. Um, how was your weekend? We channel flicking like the rest of us or... Did you find uh, one thing you liked on, on the weekend and, and just stick with it? And that's the was, seven uh, hours of footy that we had on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to plan the weekend around and then all the games got changed. So um, between footy and Olympics, I, I, was, I was saying to someone the other day, I actually touched the back of my TV at one point and it was like on fire. I hadn't turned it off in like two days. <laughs> you don't need to turn the heater on when you've had the TV on yeah. that long. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Jolly, you're probably more contractually obliged to watch the footy than the Olympics, but surely you've been uh, keeping up to date with the Australians and their efforts uh, in the pool and elsewhere. Yeah, Saturday Saturday night free of footy, so able to catch up there and watch a bit of Olympics. But yeah, no, Sunday got a bit bit hectic there, so didn't see much Olympics on Sunday with the five AFL games, but yeah, trying to fit them both in. Mm, fair play, I think, to the AFL guys about how they handled that and how quickly they moved things. You, you just get the feeling that uh, when the pandemic sort of first started, everything was mired in trepidation. Mm. And, and Well, they're getting used to it now. Yeah, and they're able to sort of just move so quickly. Um, so at one point, I think I, even I was calling, I was just saying, you know, bring forward the pre-finals buy or something and just have a few teams take the buy and, and, and see how you go and reset. But um, they're able to make it work uh, and we still have a season and we're <laughs> only a couple of weeks left. So fingers crossed they can, uh, they can get it out of the way and... And uh, without too much, I guess, interruption. Uh, before we do jump into another big episode, uh, something quirky or interesting from the weekend that grabbed your attention, Jake? Well, I think like all of us, we were stunned with West Coast's uh, performance against Collingwood. Yet another horrible outing for the Eagles. And I was just curious because they're still seventh on the on the ladder. And um, if you, most people would do their ladder predictors about this time of the year. And, I've got them still making it, which is kind of crazy given how poor they've been. It's just mainly because the teams around them are stumbling. Um, but their percentage right now is 95.9. If the season was to finish now and they were seventh with that percentage making finals, it would be the, to put this into perspective as to how bad they are, that would be the worst, second worst percentage of a finals team since 2000. Only Melbourne in 2005 had a worse percentage and it was only by 0.1 of a percent. So I think it just highlights how bad West Coast have been this year when we look at percentage as an indicator of their whole their season on a whole and whether they've won or lost it. And they've lost it by 5%. It's funny because they're, if they're in seventh, so there's another team that's going to probably file in below them. And they well, might Frio have is even... on 90% at the moment and they're in eighth. So people might say, well, why aren't we talking about Frio? But I think it's pretty clear you look at the the, the fixture. Frio is not going to make it. Um, they, they had a good win, good good on them. But, you know, it's particularly with the injuries and, and a really tough last three games, they're not making it. But West Coast probably do. And that's the crazy thing. Mm. I think that uh, I think you're not giving enough credit to the round 22. I don't want to get the word wrong here. Derby, Derby, which one are we going <laughs> with? But... That, that's a massive one. I, I'm, yeah, I haven't got West Coast locked in because they've they're, uh, got Melbourne this week, West Coast, a pretty hard one. But then Frio, West Coast, round 22, I think that'll uh, really sort of set the landscape. Can the that. Dockers beat them, though? They, they, re- they never beat them. They don't usually, but in, yeah, on form. <laughs> they should say, what, if it's Frio's home game, I believe it is. Because uh, I think West Coast it had the one earlier yeah. in the season. Yeah. yeah. Um, why don't lobby to get down to Geelong? <laughs> Any chance? <laughs> Tell you what. <laughs> wouldn't be the worst idea. No, it wouldn't. Uh, we'll touch on finals and, and the final eight and all that sort of stuff a little bit later in the episode. Christian, something from the weekend uh, that caught your attention? Yeah, it's probably been for a few weeks now and he's probably, this player's probably gone from one of the most talked about 
uh, players in the competition to probably not enough mention in the last few weeks for Jordan Degoe. Uh Career high, 34 touches. So, I mean, same game Jake's just talking about how woeful West Coast was. But uh, Degoe, yeah, has putting, become, you know, a prime ball-moving midfielder now um, since about round 13. So career high 34 on the weekend. But yeah, since round 13, he's number one in the comp for score involvement, second for uncontested possession, sixth for metres gain retained, tenth for disposals, you know, number one at Collingwood and all those stats. Just don't know if he's getting enough credit for how much he's, you know, probably Collingwood's a little bit forgotten about at this stage of the season. They're not getting, you know, and I always found Jordan Degoe, all he needed to do was play on a Friday night and everyone would be talking about him for the whole weekend because he seems to be a bit of a commentator's love child. But I think it's gone the other way now. I don't think anyone's giving enough credit for how well Degoe's gone in probably the last six or seven weeks now. It's interesting. Oh, because... yeah, he's top three player in the league. <laughs> <laughs> two years too early. <laughs> well, that's the no, thing. I, I mean, I always felt he was, I mean, the, again, the comp with Degoe was someone like Dusty. And I, I've always felt he was just, his talent was a bit wasted purely playing as a forward. And I think now they've got the balance right where he can play um, in the midfield. I think he might've gone in maybe Bucks's last game or second last game. And he sort of, sort of stayed there throughout and his numbers have been really consistent. He can still go forward and hit the scoreboard, but. So pre, um, pre round 13, yeah, it was about a 25% uh, midfield, 75% forward split. Now he's up to about 60, 65% midfield, mm. about 30, 35% forward. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, becoming more of a permanent midfielder in recent weeks. Mm, uh, want to keep an eye on. Uh, something I noticed, pretty good game on Sunday afternoon between Sydney and Essendon. Another shootout, another uh, game where both teams... The double 100 points. points. Yeah, it hasn't happened too often this year, but Essendon seems to be on the, the butt end of a few of those. Um, and you look at their... Speaking of percentage, their percentage is actually quite good. Uh, they're above 100, um, but they're just, uh, I think, a game and a half outside the eight at the moment, or half a game. Um but that's not what I noticed. What I did notice was, uh, especially in the second half, a lot of snap goals, but in general play, not a lot of set shot looks at the goal. Um, but that's also not quite what I noticed. It was just a bit quirky. But oh, come on, I'd, get on with it. I'm getting on with it. Um, <laughs> late in the game, uh, the Swans needed a, a sealer, right? And uh, they get a free kick on the half forward line. Uh, and then the ball goes inside 50 and Buddy's taken out from behind, gets pushed in the back. Uh, a great opportunity for him to get another goal on his way to a thousand. Callum Mills has taken the ball that sort of spilled out the back, received a hand pass, played on and kicked the goal, which ended up being the sealer. Callum, give it back to Buddy, my man. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't reckon Big Bud would have been too happy with that one. Oh, I would have been fuming. I did see that and I thought the same thing. Um, but I don't know. I think. You just got to, if it's a guaranteed goal, you, you sort of take it. That's the rule. You you play on and, and take the kick if, if it's a guaranteed goal, even though we so, see players all the time playing on when it's far from guaranteed and they miss. But I think he was well within his rights to do it. But if that was, if he was on 999, <laughs> he's putting the hands in the air for sure. It's round 23, they're not making finals. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get cracking. Plenty to get into. Uh, Jake, you kind of mentioned it off the top, but there is a clear top six teams this season, then a band of sort of, you know, five or six merry men chasing. Um, And in seasons gone by, it sort of seems that there is one or two clubs that are just making up the numbers in finals. Uh, I know that you like referencing the Bulldogs of 2016 and their wonderful run into a grand final and and then ultimately a premiership. But is there a case for making it a top six instead of a top eight, Jake? Don't get me wrong. I think eight is the right number for an 18 team competition. Mm -hmm. I I think, 
I like the idea that less teams play finals and the idea that some people want to have extra finals and wild cards and all this nonsense and have 10 plus teams in, in contention. It just cheapens the achievement of making and playing in finals. Um, however, go, looking at it the other way for this year, it's clear. I said it last week on the podcast. It's a two horse race. It's the Bulldogs and the Cats at the front and behind them, um, there's a band of four teams Melbourne, Port Sydney, and Brisbane that can still win it. I mean, clearly, but I don't think they will. But after that, we've got the bottom two teams in the eight and then the next sort of three or four on the ladder. They're clearly a few rungs below below all the teams that I just said above them. Is there the case to, to have a top six this year? Well, if there was ever a year to do it, it would be this year where we've had so many changes and distractions. I mean, the AFL could do it. They're not going to because why would they get rid of finals? I mean, that's where so much money is made from the, the finals, the broadcast deals, ticket sales, if we're able to have it. Um, they're never going to get rid of it. But is there the idea of not necessarily reducing the number of finals that we currently have nine, but just having the top six playing in another finals format or structure where we can keep nine or close to nine finals, but make it more competitive rather than having, let's be honest, whether it's West Coast or Frio or St. Kilda or Essendon or Carlton or whoever's going to make Richmond, whoever makes that those bottom two spots, are they going to be competitive? I don't well, think anyone really thinks they are. Thinking, thinking back to elimination finals in years gone by, uh, all, all I can I can sort of remember more so than um, than than the other way is a lot of spankings, some really big. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, like 2020, probably out of the box, there were two pretty close ones, which is good. Um, there've been a couple of really good. Like there was one uh, one or two with extra time, which has always been pretty fun. Uh, that Port Adelaide West Coast game, but like 2019, the elimination finals, uh, West Coast beat Essendon by 55 points. Giants beat the Dogs by 58. In 2018, mm. Sydney beat the Giants by 50. Melbourne beat Geelong by 30, but Geelong only scored 46 points. Um, you keep going back. 2017, Sydney beat the Bombers 65 points. 2016, 47 and 62 point margins. 2014, Richmond won the coin toss and went the wrong way and, and gave up the first 20 bazillion <laughs> goals of that game and were never in it. Like Christian, it, my eyes aren't deceiving me. The average margin in elimination finals is much bigger than that, those in semis, prelims, grand finals. Yeah, so I've gone from 2010 onwards. So just yeah, looking at the last sort of decade. Um, and they are their elimination finals, 34 points per game is the average margin. It's almost a, it is a goal uh, ahead of qualifying finals, which are played on the same weekend, uh, average margin 28. So it doesn't seem like a massive number. But yeah, as I said, with the, they've had 22 finals, elimination finals in that time. Nine of those have been over 45 points. Only four of the quali- qualifying finals have been over 45 points out of the 22. So uh, yeah, again, they come up as probably the, the least exciting or the least closest of the of the groupings of finals. How do we do it then? I mean, <sighs> yeah. is there is there the case of saying, okay, the top two teams, the Cats and the Dogs, they are automatically through, um, and then you have sort of three play six, four play five. There's just no way of doing it where you're going to have a lot of finals, and that's why they'll, no one's ever going to go for it. No one's ever going to want to have it. And the other thing is, the fewer teams you have in the finals, the less interest you have from supporters of other teams that all of a sudden, you know, their teams point. aren't in contention anymore. So they're never going to do it. So I think we've got to just accept the fact that we're probably going to have a couple of blowouts early. Mm. But there's no, there's no guarantee. I mean, if West Coast did finish eighth and they play. Uh, Sydney or Port or whoever's going to finish fifth, 
There is always a chance of. It can uh, beat them. I yeah. mean, like it's not like it's impossible, but certainly on form, you you look at it and you think, whoever's going to be those two elimination finals, the the as we said before, the fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth, whoever finishes fifth and sixth look comfortably better than anyone that can finish seventh and eighth. So having a, a quick doodle, the, something I might have come up with here is you do have a wildcard weekend and it's an actual wildcard weekend and not just another round of finals, which is what some people have suggested. But you have seven and eight playoff to make the finals. But in the same weekend, you have one and two playoff for the chance. To, and that, that, that's the double chance game. No double chance game for three and four. So it's just one and two. Winner goes through to a prelim. Loser plays the winner of the wild card. So the wild card, sure, you know, you play a team ranked around you and it's good fun. Uh, and if you win, you go through, but you play the second ranked team and that's when it becomes hard. But but, wouldn't you you get, but then you'd get a, that's even more likely to be a blowout. Potentially, but it's only one blowout. And you still still preserve the double chance. You still have the wild card, but it's really a top six that are the, chan- the, team, the teams that are making it. I don't know. Look, like like you said, it's really hard to sort of get it your head hard. around, and yeah. the way that it ha- the way that it works at the moment, I think I agree that eight out of eighteen teams makes it is is enough. I mm. wouldn't go the other way and have the top ten making it because I think the the quality just drops off too far most well, years. If six. in five, six, ten years time we have a Tasmanian team and a and an NT team, and we have twenty teams in the comp, keep it at eight. Should we keep it at eight? Yeah, I th- I think we should improve I, the quality I, of the. Yeah, I'm, I'm strongly. For keeping it as is as at the eight and even if we went to 20 22 teams i think yeah you still keep it to eight fair enough mm-hmm. uh hey we got asked this on twitter this week um about coin tosses and, and the stats involved with coin tosses and it actually kind of piqued my interest because i'm i think this is quite fascinating because clearly cost toss of a coin in broad terms 50 50 whether it's heads or tails um so i thought we'd task christian this week with uh, the teams that have won the toss the most this year and those that have lost the toss the most this year, and if it means anything at all. Uh, Christian, is there a correlation between winning the toss and winning the game? Uh, not at all, really. So straight stats for this year. Um, win the toss, win the game 49.7% of the time. So, so that's just to me, that's so. interesting. I mean, we always you kind of figure it's going to be pretty much bang on 50, but you, it's slightly under. Yeah. If you win the toss, you got a slightly less than fifty percent chance of winning the game. Yeah, and then and it drops even further, which is interesting to me. Again, just in looking at the first quarter, do you win the first quarter? Only forty four percent of the time, the teams win the toss and then go on to win the first quarter. So that's that's the one where you actually get to pick, pick yeah, the direction you're going with within win. the conditions that there are. So yeah, that, that doesn't even sort of uh, give you a sort of a leg up winning the toss to win the first quarter. Um, and just yeah, looking at again. So that was sort of yeah the just the raw number, but yeah, digging into it, there is sort of a few quirkiness with teams. I believe it's the away team that calls uh, heads or tails. So I don't know how teams can um, get so lucky or get it so wrong, but Port Adelaide and Melbourne are the leaders for winning the coin tosses 14 times uh, out of their 19 games. They've both won the coin toss. Essendon only four at the other end of the table. So just <laughs> cannot, cannot get a break with the coin toss, but as Jake just said, they're, they're less likely to win the game anyway. So maybe, maybe they're that's tanking they're the right. coin toss. It's such a crapshoot, isn't it? I mean, the fact that it, like statistically over a certain number, like if you flip the coin a million times, it's probably going to be close to 50-50. But you can have one team that's winning it 14 out of 19 times and then one team mm. for yeah. like, you know, five out of nine. It's, just, it's kind of bizarre. But the, the first quarter one is the one that really gets me in that you have control over the way that you're kicking. And if you're, say, down in Launceston or in Brisbane or whatever, like you're trying to choose the, the advantageous conditions. 
But how often do we really have an end that's massively beneficial to kick to? It's not yeah. like every game there's a gale that's blowing. True. That's true. I think it isn't it Marvel Stadium. Surely it's just eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Marvel Stadium, I always notice, and I haven't called a game this year, but whenever I called a game, I always notice whenever whoever wins the coin toss just kicks to the end and just be warming up at anyway. Yeah. So there's no point having the coin toss because <laughs> they all they give, get given an end before they run out by the AFL and yeah. they just stick to that end when they start the game. Or if the skipper's a defender, he'll say, all right, we'll defend down this end where we are and I don't have to move have the forwards. To together end. <laughs> and take a hike. Uh, that's fascinating. Um, Anything else on coin tosses just before we move uh, on? Again, just a few quirky ones. So Adelaide, uh, win the toss, one and nine for winning the game. Lose the toss, five and four this year. So again, um, maybe they celebrate their coin toss wins a bit too much and get ahead of themselves. But yeah, <laughs> one and nine if they win the coin toss. Uh, and Richmond a bit on the flip side. So three and seven. On the flip the side, top. well done. Oh, I didn't even realise. Uh, three, three and seven when they win the toss and five and four when they lose the toss. So more chance of winning the game when they lose the toss, Richmond. But again, yeah, yeah, no, nothing uh, major in it. I wouldn't be going out and telling any teams to change their strategies <laughs> at, the, at the coin toss. Jake, um, are you a heads or a tails man? Uh, or do I'm you change head- it up? I'm not much of a... What do you mean? I don't fl- sit at home flipping coins. No, no, no. But if, if you were... If, you were, <laughs> if, if you I was were... picking, I'd, I'd... Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if players... Change it up, or they just always say heads, or always yeah. say tails. That's a good question. Maybe that's, we that's ask the one thing. One. That's the one thing we don't get to record. We don't get to record the call. We just yeah, get to that's the winner. So we don't we don't know if heads wins more or tails wins more. But that could be the next level of. I reckon I'd just always say heads. Well, why don't we ask the captains next year if they yeah, have that's a, a good captain's day question? A I technique: like Do they always stick with heads? Do they always go tails, or do they you know mix it up if they haven't lost one one for a while? Do they? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Uh, coin toss stats. Um, there you go. More interesting than I thought that would be. So thank you very much, <laughs> Jake. Uh, you've been big on this. Why did you want Christian to investigate who has the most one twos in the league? Uh, it's something that I've. Well, Are you playing fantasy? Are you trying to get? No, I don't, it's surprised a lot of people actually don't play fantasy. Um, I don't know if it's too much of a commitment. I used to do it, but it would just, I don't know. Pretty became... tips is enough for me. Yeah. Um, but obviously watching, we we talk about as footy you know, fans and viewers, we talk a lot about players stat padding and that sort of stuff and trying to get the cheeky little one-twos and, and all that. And I think you can ask anyone that watches the game, and there's probably a few names that sort of spring to mind when you when you talk about that. Um, but there's one player I've noticed this year doing it a lot. And I was, I was more curious than anything to see where he ranks on this list of the most one twos or one, two threes, as I think it is in the, in the competition this year. And turns out he he's top of the list. So over to you, Christian. Well, it's, it's not technically a one, two that you record at champion data, is it? So yeah, well, we've, we've just sort of done a quick raw sort of uh, scraping of the data to look at if you've had the disposal, um, your team's had the next disposal and then you've had the third one. So looking at, yeah, not necessarily that you've got a handball receive immediately after, but you've just, um, you've had, yeah, the first and third disposal uh, within the chain, if, if you want to look at it sort of that way. So you've given it to someone and got it back from them. Um, and yeah, the, the leading player is Aaron Hall with 35 this year. So the numbers are sort of a, a bit lowish, but as Jake sort of pointed out, two times per game is sort of getting getting the ball to a teammate and getting it back. So that, that 35 number represents how many times he got it back from the teammate. So uh, one ahead of Paul Seedsman, 34. Um, third in the comps, Jack Zebel, uh, another North player down back who they just, you know, try to get the ball in his, into his hands as often as possible. 
Um, and an underrated one for me, I think, would have been doing it highly across his career. Zach Tui is actually fourth at 30. So I don't think Zach Tui sort of gets enough credit for how hard he actually runs. I think people mm. still see him as sort of, you know, a, a good back pocket or a good halfback. You see him in the half forward line forward. all the yeah, time. Yeah, that goes forward a little bit of pitchings for Geelong. He's actually probably up there in, you know, in terms of top four or five in their running capacity, and he sort of does sort of link up across the And he's out. such a good kick so that if, if you if he hand passes, you probably want to give it back to him because he if, if he can get a bit of clear air um, and he gets the ball on the boot, it's probably going to a teammate. Yeah, and that's that's the fifth on this list or equal fifth on this list. Daniel Rich is probably the poster boy for it for Brisbane. I think mm-hmm. they do, you know, any chance that Daniel Rich gets, he sort of kicks it from the half-back line. He's always trying to get it again on the wing, uh, running through for his next swerve. So he's done it 29 times this year. Rich surprised me a bit purely because he's usually such a long penetrating kick. So I wouldn't have thought he'd be on the end of the next touch. Yeah, I reckon he goes shorter from the back line and longer in the forward half. So he likes to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you picture him getting the ball 40 out, he'll chip it into the centre circle or centre square and maybe run past for the next handball, and that's when you go long into the forward 50. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, again, Zach Tui and Daniel Rich, I feel like, have been doing it for, you know, I've only looked at it for this year, and Hall, Seedsman, and Zeeble probably, you know, starting to do a little more um, first time across their careers, whereas Zach Tui and Daniel Rich, I reckon, would have been high up in this stat in most seasons. See, this is interesting. This is the sort of stuff that fantasy players like to hear. So uh, if, you're, if you're keen on fantasy and you've got, either some trades left or if you're looking for, for next season already, um, there are some names obviously clearly to look out for. Yeah, and there's another name that's sort of, so again, that was just looking at all possessions from a teammate's disposal. I just looked at one sort of, I don't know if it's an underrated stat, but handball receives. Um, I know it's sort of a common stat. It's a main way, you know, a, a main type of possession like a mark or a handball receive or gather from hit out. Um, but yeah, the play that come up high for that one, just sort of again running past Zach Merritt, 325 handball receives this year. Uh, second is Tom Mitchell, 297. Third, Jack McRae at 295 and Took Miller's fourth at 240. So he's a fair way ahead of fourth, Zach Merritt. So 325, he's probably, yeah, the, the most common one to actually run around the back of a teammate and get that, that one-off handball received. So again, probably not a number um, a lot of people pay a lot of credence to. But yeah, again, you know, talking fantasy or things like that, Zach Merritt's always seemed to be around, um, you know, calling for the ball and yeah, often gets it. There you go, Jake. Your man, Aaron Hall, right at the top of the list. You must be pretty happy calling oh, that one. my man, but I did think he'd be top of that list. Yeah, he he. some of those names were surprising in the one-two list, but Aaron Hall wasn't. And that may be because a lot of the time he gives those little one-meter handballs and instantly throws the hands out to sort of say, give it back to me. And yeah, I'm obviously, I'm not an old 60-year-old man saying, kick, just kick the ball, but it's like... Why are you doing that? You know, you're just putting a team out under pressure just to instantly get the ball back. Well, if it releases pressure the other way, then you can get a you know clear run at it and then kick it. I think uh, a lot of those little handballs are unnecessary. And I truly believe there are players in the league that do want to pad their stats. I, I think it's true. Interesting. Well, we can maybe investigate that another time. The biggest stat padders and we'll work out a formula. <laughs> um coaching job uh, security bands, uh, Jake. So to put this in perspective. There are probably four bands that I'll put coaches in at the moment. And they are, one can be, um, sorry, a coach can be untouchable. They can be Mm -hmm. safe for now. They can be on notice or they're a dead man walking. So if we look at those four bands, (laughs) (laughs) if we look at those four bands uh, and, you know, the last month of the season's coming up and uh, you know what that means, clubs might look at their coaches and uh, make a decision one way or another. Um, so I thought we'd go through the list of coaches in the AFL at the moment and put yep. each one of them into one of those four bands. I like it. Do we want to go alphabetical order of clubs? Maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, we can do that. 
What do you think of Matthew Nix? I think refresh me on the on the categories again. Have you, got the, have, you got, have you got the run sheet in front of you or not? No, I don't. Untouchable. <laughs> Safe for now. On notice. On notice. And I think he's on walking. notice. You think I he's, think on, he's notice? on notice? Yeah, I do. I think he's I, safe for now. I think he's done a really good job compared to last season and the way that they've... I mean, the start of the season was much better than the last maybe two months have been. Mm. Uh, however, you know, they got a win last week. Um, as in not the week just gone, but they got a win the week prior. And, and you know, that yeah. does wonders for a, a young group that it is rebuilding. You've got to yeah. give him a couple of years to be... Six wins, I think... I, I, look, I think any team that's going to be in the in the bottom three, I think you've got to be on notice to some extent. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they were they they surprised in the early in the early six seven weeks of the season, but they've been reasonably poor throughout. So I'd say he's on notice. Chris Fagan, and would it have differed to what it was a month ago? Yeah, I think it would have. Um, he's safe for now, but I reckon a month ago he was untouchable. But all of a sudden, a little a little bit of a form slump for Brisbane might not be making top four and who knows if they, if they bow out in the first week of finals, then that category drops again. But he was, be- it was so safe. Like, three or four weeks ago, everyone was reaching for the record books and telling us he was going to be the oldest premiership coach. So it probably has turned a fair bit for him in the last three or four weeks. <laughs> That's stiff. Uh, David Teague's an interesting one. Yeah. I'll let you answer Teague. Where do you, where do you sit on him? <laughs> He's very much on notice, isn't he? Since Clarko, uh, and Hawthorne have decided to part ways. I think uh, he's almost very close to that sort of dead man walking, but it might be like, you know, the pressure needle that you get on gauges in cartoons. It might be like uh, flicking between the two of on notice and dead man walking. Obviously a win like the one on the weekend helps, but they also lost to North the week before. So maybe they just cancel each other out and he's very, very much on notice. Yeah. Any thoughts? I oh, agree. Don't think there's more to say on that. Robert Harvey's a hard one because uh, he's not technically the coach. Well, I would say, well, I think you've got to say he's safe for now. Yeah. He's done a pretty good job. He's yeah. going to obviously he's playing the coach, kids. He's coaching out the year. And I tell you what, we all sat here a month ago and said he's highly unlikely to get the job. They can have another win or wind or two to finish the season. You've got to say he's a chance. I'd say he's safe for now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's probably the, the, the safe way to go after an interim coach. Safe for now, no guarantees. They're certainly playing playing better and playing a more attractive brand of footy under him in the last month. So yeah, he's done his job. Truck rutten. Christian. Safe for now, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, almost. I'd, is he untouchable? Maybe. They were, they were supposed to be bottom four. You know, they're still there with a chance to make finals. They're playing sexy footy. I'll tell you that much. Oh. Just all their fans are back on, you know, you know, we speak to Roland and things like that. I'm sure the fans are back on board with them. So I, I'd probably move him up to untouchable for now. It'd be untouchable if they could finally beat Sydney in a close one, I think. It'd be untouchable if they could finally win a coin toss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, man, man, that's the difference. Long Muir. Um, on notice, probably. Okay. Uh, between the on notice and safe for now, I think again he hasn't been there that long, and he's had some injuries. They've had a few things to, to battle, a bit of a rebuild, but they got good young kids. We know mm-hmm. they're getting better. Um, yeah, I guess it's interesting to see what happens, you know, with players like Fife and um, sure. Walters now injured. Um, Mundy's older, but we know he's playing next year. I, I think he, he's safe for now, probably. Yeah, in that in those in the middle of those two brackets, and but next year will be the interesting one for him. Chris Scott, been around the uh, the traps a while. 
Uh, I think he's probably untouchable at the moment. Mm. I don't see him leaving the post anytime soon. Why they're, would you? They're a top two team. They may well, they're going to, could potentially go back to back in reaching grand finals and they may go all the way this year. So I don't think something disastrous would have to happen for him to drop out of that top category at the moment. Stuart Jew. I think he feels a bit dead man walking. He really does. I know they've had, it's the same old story with, with Gold Coast. Some good performances, but ultimately a poor season. Yeah, the, one, the one thing that's caught my eye this week, sort of looking through Gold Coast numbers, and the one I stumbled across that I can't figure out if it's a positive or a huge negative is <laughs> the last four weeks, they've actually won. And again, we spoke, sort of spoke about this last few weeks, uh, few weeks ago on the pod about breaking everything down by quarters and just trying to win a stat across a quarter. Um, and a lot of the teams look and break down their games that way. They've won the pressure factor 13 times in their last 16 quarters, which is the most of any team. Against Melbourne in the first half, I sort of made the comment that they, their pressure was really, really good. They were at elite level for a while on um, Fox's, you know, pressure graph that they put up um, across. They were over 200. And they're actually making it half for Melbourne, but they're just disastrous on every other stat. So they're working their backsides off defensively pressure. And, you know, I, I think a lot of, a lot of that comes down to coaching application and, you know, having a lot of, yeah, and having a lot of focus on the pressure. But for what they're doing so well, it's just the rest of the game's just falling apart. They're just not, you know, they can't retain the ball. They can't win the ball. They can't score when they get it inside 50. So, again, to me, it looks a lot like it's the talent that's devoid. It's not the coaching. I think the application's there, and I think he's safe for now. Um, but just the way the numbers get broken down, the talent just can't sustain yeah. it for 20, 20-odd 20 weeks across the season. And the, and the good news for Suns fans is that they are able to lock up these young players who can hopefully develop into, you know, players with bigger tanks and, and with more consistency. And it's just a shame because goodwill doesn't go a long way in footy. You remember back to at halftime of the Brisbane game and they looked great. And they'd won the game the week before. Yeah. Uh, Since that halftime break, they've been horrible. They've been big, horrible. Big thing for Gold Coast last three or four years was what what are they? What is their style? What are they trying to do? And we couldn't pinpoint that. They've got the kick mark and they're trying to play West Coast type style. And they did it really, really well. Still number one for uncontested mark. So I think that's why I, another tick for Stuart Jew. He's implemented a style that they want to play. They've just yeah. got to go out and execute it. And whether that's the cattle or the park at the mm. moment, that's holding him back. I think with Clarkson as a free agent, uh, he's on he's on notice. Uh, for me, um, I don't think that I don't think he's a dead man walking, but I don't think he's safe for now by any means. Uh, Leon Cameron, Jakey, you've always been well. How can Leon. he be safe for now? We can't be, yeah. I'm saying he's not, he, he's a dead man walking, Clark. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm saying with Clarkson as a free agent, um, Jew is oh, Jew, I yeah, thought you yeah, were yeah. about Clark. No, 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 we're getting to Clark. We've got, we've got one more to go before then. Uh, Leon Cameron, oh, he's a dead man walking. <laughs> Really? He's a dead man. Yeah, he, he's... Sorry, I just laughed. It wasn't a disrespect towards Leon Cameron. I'm surprised you, you're saying he's a dead man walking. Yeah, I think he is. Well, for how long is he going to walk Tell me what else man. he is. He's, not, he's certainly not untouchable. He's not safe for now. I mean, you could argue he might be on notice, but I think he's... He, how many years have we seen this? Yes, they lost talent in the offseason, but I tell you what, the, the biggest frustration everyone's always had with the Giants is their horrible inconsistency. And yet again, we've seen it all throughout this year. We see it throughout games and throughout the, the course of the season. I think he's been there a long time now, and I feel like they're, they're, they're desperate for change. Fair enough. 
uh, well, Clarkson and Mitchell. I, I don't know how you can kind of band these guys in, but you'd think Clarkson's a dead man walking because he's well, literally... Mitchell's <laughs> got to be untouchable because he's, <laughs> he's just yeah, one man. <laughs> he's taken over the show. Um, no, Goodwin. Cl- yeah, sorry, Goodwin. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say Clarkson. Well, he's not on notice. How's he on notice? I, he doesn't really fit into any of those categories because we don't really know what the next stage is going to be for him. But exactly. I'd say he's untouchable for, for at least for that moment when he goes to then his next club. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, Goodwin is untouchable, I'd say. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I think he's also, got good buy-in yeah. from that that group. It's been a I think we underestimate how well Melbourne's been able to turn it around from that really obviously they had a that out of the box year that everyone thought and then they went into the wilderness a bit but they've they've turned it around really well. I think he deserves a lot of respect and credit for that. Agree. Uh Noble, David Noble. Uh I'll throw up untouchable. Untouchable? Yeah, I, I agree with you Christian. They're I one th- of the informed teams at the moment, one of the youngest teams going around. He's this year alone, you know, this the last five weeks alone probably bought him another year for me. Like yep. he's, yeah, they're, they're showing signs. Yeah, I think you got to persevere for at least three or four years with a coach like this to see uh, to see what's going on um, before you start making big judgment calls. Hinkley, he's always been up and down in terms of probably somewhere between these bands. But where do we have him after a minor premiership last year, and now they're on the precipice of the four. Yeah, I think they're going to make the four. I'd say if they make the four, win a final. I think he's safe. He's safe for now. Yeah. Um. But again, he he like he's like a Leon Cameron. He's he's been at the job for quite a while. They've had a bit of success. They've been top four, top eight. They've fallen out. They've been around that mark. I think he one poor month or one poor you know period of the year would really cost him if it was to happen in the finals or next year. But I think right now he's safe for now. He's certainly not untouchable. Mm. It's not worth disrupting the apple cart at this point of his tenure, I think. And no. Koshy tried to do it uh, earlier this year, late uh, or sorry, earlier last year. Uh, and that sort of blew up in his face spectacularly. I say spectacular in the sense that Koshy would probably be thrilled with a minor premiership, but they obviously didn't go on with it. Um, who else have we got on this list? Hardwick. Ooh. Hardwick's an interesting one, Christian. Yeah, what are your thoughts on of the Tigers coach? Yeah, he's dead. Touchable. <laughs> Again, what, what, how, how many years does three premierships by? He, he's untouchable for now. I know, I know off field and things like that. They had a bit of a rocky off season, but um Could you it, imagine if they got rid of him? Like it sounds ridiculous. He's untouchable for at least another <laughs> eight, eight Two months. years. I'd say, yeah, he's got two more years of no one's really gonna that have to be really poor. Not next year, the year after, for people to start saying it's time for him to go. I think even yeah. if they're poor next year and have another sort of similar finish, which I don't think mm. they'll have. Depends on the list management strategy too. Yeah. I think, and no, which I, way I they decide to go from here. He's he's fine. He's, he's as Christian said, he's bought himself plenty of time. Brett Ratton, interesting. Uh, I'd say he's on notice big time. Yeah, um, he's not a dead man walking because they have had a better second half of the year, but yet again they're stumbling. They're they're another team that's inconsistent. And I've always, when as a Carlton supporter, I, I would love Brett Ratton. I was really upset when we when we let him go, as I think a lot of Carlton supporters were with what happened in that that period. But um, he hasn't really done the job I thought he might have done at St Kilda. I think a lot of people rated St Kilda a little bit higher than where they've finished this year, particularly mm-hmm. after last year. So he's on notice. Don't think he's super, you know, in that bottom tier where he's his job's really unsafe but 
he wouldn't want to have a poor start to next year because he would find himself as just about the the most under pressure coach in the league. Yeah, I think it's a big off season for the Saints too. I think they they're still very one paced around the midfield. They need to do something about that. Uh, and going after someone like Brad Crouch was never going to be the the answer for what they needed in there. Um, so I think there's a, there's a big off season opportunity for them to get a dynamic, quick midfielder in. Uh, and they probably need to shore up the defense. The style that, that Ratton tries to play um, can leave them lacking back there. And I think that, you know, getting some more help, um, especially given the way that Frawley quite hasn't, hasn't panned out in terms of his injury as well. Um, yeah, he's on notice for sure. Uh, Longmire, I think he's untouchable given what he's been able to do with the Swans this year. And especially in the last six weeks, having not been at home, I think his ability to uh, inspire a group of young men to, form and create resilience the way that he has, I think has just been remarkable. And, and we, I think we sort of joke about it, but I did look at, you know, so spoke about Heaney kicking five last week, Papley kicking four, the whole AFL and, you know, even us on the pod, we're obsessed with Buddy kicking his thousand. I think just being able to manage that and going, hang, we've got a finals campaign. We're, we're a good chance here to maybe even sure up a top four spot. And they're clearly not looking for, you know, we, we joke about it, Jake, you know, tongue in cheek, when are they going to start kicking it all, you know, directing all their ball to Buddy and that. <laughs> There's no signs of it. They're, they're still just, they're doing the job at hand. And I think the rest of us need to chill out on the on the Buddy <laughs> 1000 tour because I don't think it's at the forefront of Sydney's minds. And um, yeah, I think he's handled that well. The distraction, you know, it wouldn't be a huge distraction, but I think the little bit of distraction with Buddy and trying to get him goals, it's clearly clearly not the case the last two weeks and they're winning well. Mm-hmm. So I, no, think, I think oh, Sydney is, uh, as good as Melbourne have been and, and are, I really think Sydney is just about the third third best or third biggest chance to win the flag second second on the form ladder since the buy round so yeah i think only the dogs and cats are more likely to win it than sydney um which shows i mean whether you think they're third fourth or fifth that that jump from where they were last year is incredible i think as you say it's pretty clear that he's um he's untouchable uh adam simpson well he is a dead man walking that's a big call I think that's pretty clear. As soon as this season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's another one like Leon Cameron and Ken Hinckley. He's been there a long time. Similar sort of team where he's had that the up and down, that success. But this year has been really, really bad. They're, they're, their game plan's been exposed. He hasn't been able to rally them when they've been down. De- that's the thing that's been really disappointing with West Coast. It's not as you know how bad they've had some of these games against Geelong and Sydney and now Collingwood. As bad as they've been, it's their lack of response the following week, which I've really been surprised by. Uh, losing to North as well, I think after they had a really bad win. Yeah, you can't. You if you're a team, not even a great team. If you're a good, solid team, you should be bouncing back big time after after a poor loss. And the fact that he can't get them to do that is really surprising. And I still believe. Talent-wise, West Coast are probably top two in the league for A-grade players on their list. Yeah, I think those A-grade players are old now. That's the problem. And they've been injured at times. And so you can kind of say, well, you know, we've had injuries. We've been unlucky. But these injuries are happening to to blokes who are old. So you kind of need to expect that that's going to happen. Uh, and I don't think that West Coast... I can kind of see West Coast having a similar calling trajectory to Collingwood in that... Um, not, not in the sense of the salary cap stuff, but there's going to be a drop-off in in talent and they're going to have to try and rebuild. And I think it's going to come as a little bit of a shock. Uh, so I don't think he's a dead man walking right now, but he is well on notice. No, he's he's dead. He's dead and walking. Luke Beveridge. He's had a good season. 
Yeah, pretty untouchable, I think, at the moment. Mm. There was a little bit of pressure around him, wasn't there, at some point. But I think he's, not this year, but I think he's, yep. yeah, I again, I don't think, you know, you look at the all those coaches in the top three positions, I don't yep. think there's any reason. Why would you want to change it? He's no, a I'm, premiership coach. He's managed to get them back up into the top two on the ladder, or, or top of the ladder. Um, and they're one of the favourites to win the flag this year. So, as you said, why 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 adjust anything at this point in time? I'd say he's well and truly safe. Probably just about the safest coach in the league at the moment. The big thing for me was that the Dogs had a fair bit of expectation on them going into this season, considering how they, well, the the Jamara pickup, um, then Trelaw, uh, you know, the expectation was pretty high. And I think that they've still somehow managed to match that and, and if not exceed it. So I think you're spot on. He's untouchable. Uh, all right, that wraps up the coaching job so wait, security how many, bands. How many dead, me- dead men walking did we have? You had three, I think, and I had one. <laughs> Who was your one? I who did I say was my one? Uh, Leon Cameron. I had Leon Cameron, Leon Adam Cameron, Simpson, Simpson, and Teague. David Teague. I think I had Teague, but only just. It was going between them. Mm. Yeah, could be a couple of coaching changes at the end of the season. Keep an eye on those. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole time? The segment where I'll say a statement and you guys need to tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Um. His first two are from the same games. This is good. Christian, Sydney Stack has saved his career. Uh, I think so. I don't, I don't know if he was ever in trouble. I know, I know what you're alluding to and things like that. But, um, yeah, seriously talented player, very, very young. Um, it was always, you know, he, he wasn't taken in the national draft because there were always issues about his maturity levels and things like that. So, Again, he's just a he's just a player we have to be patient with. I don't I don't know about the word of saved his career, but he's he's definitely showed he's a good player and he he's uh, fits into the AFL. Jake Frio's retro Guernsey is better than their current home Guernsey. This this sounds like one that you would like to answer. I'm okay. going to let you answer this because you you're a big Guernsey man. <laughs> I am a big Guernsey man. Yeah, I think it is. I think the the purple with the white chevrons, I think is is great. It's really classy, but it's also quite boring. Uh, and having the green, no other team has green on their on their on their Guernsey. Uh, having the green, the little red accents, yeah. the purple, the the anchor, the whole lot of it, I thought it was wonderful. I, and I know I, I loved it, but whether that was just nostalgia hitting me, I don't know if I could yeah. put up with it for eleven weeks for. A- <laughs> But I did. I loved it because I did remember it took me back. I was actually at their first ever game at the MCG. I remember my dad took me along to watch that. Um, and it just brought back, yeah, just some of the names. You know, we're talking Scott Chisholm and Clive Waterhouse and Daniel. Well, I swear I was about all these to say. Names, but um, it was. I feel like it was more nostalgia. I loved it. I don't know if I want it to return for good, though. Let us know on, on Twitter at Footy Tips if you did it, or didn't like it. It reminds me exactly of that. I remember going, just having footy cards as a kid and Clive Waterhouse. I remember him wearing that, had that Guernsey on in the, in the, on the footy card. That's what it reminds me of. Just look, me being a kid looking at my footy cards reminds me of. That, that's what that Guernsey reminds me of. Mm. Uh, Jake, Jack Viney deserves much more punishment than what he'll ultimately get at the tribunal. Well, we don't know what he'll get at this point in time. I suspect it will probably probably be around two weeks. Um, I don't know. That's it sort of one and a half to Weighted two, elbow into the throat of an opponent. Was it Sam Collins, I think it was? Yeah, it was Sam oh. Collins. I, look, I think he... Well, if let's say he gets two, then yes, I agree. I say it's justified that he should be getting more. But I said this last week about Buddy. I thought Buddy should have got two to three yeah. weeks for for that clear 
These are non-football acts. Elbow to the face of Luke Ryan, I think it was, thinking yeah. back. Um, you know, and he got he got one and then it was eventually downgraded to nothing and he was able to play. So the AFL's not doing themselves any favors by letting these sort of acts off. And, and then football acts are copying one in two weeks. Um, yeah, I think the, the one the biggest frustration. that keeps getting brought up is the Plowman one. Um, and yes. how that's going to get more than something that Buddy, when he throws an elbow back, or the potential is that Viney may only get one or a big heavy fine. It's just like, as far as I'm concerned, a dog act like that, that it's not a football act, give him a month and say, you've got to go and talk to someone. Get some counselling, for goodness sake. We shouldn't be seeing this sort of crap on the field. Yeah, I look, I'm not against giving players a month for that sort of stuff. And I've I've long said right. this sort of stuff. The AFL is my favorite sport. It really is. I, I love it. I watch every game every single week. Absolutely love the sport. But the biggest frustration I have with it, and, and it's not accuracy, it's not it's not high scores, it's not any of that crap which I can live with. The thing that I hate most about the AFL, and to be honest, Australian sports culture as a whole is that ridiculous macho mentality of just trying to constantly wrestle and fight with your opponents. We on tell me another sport where you see this. Certainly outside of Australia, it does not happen. And I hate the fact that there's this constant bumping and it's just the bumping and the grabbing and the jumper punching and the and all that nonsense yet then players when they come off the field no one ever wants to say anything like we say about the the u.s athletes where they're constantly talking themselves up you never get that the vocal side of it but the physical side you get i just hate it it's just such a bad lame pathetic look like just play the sport and don't bump in and elbow and do all that nonsense just grow up yeah that's a fair rant. We should bring back that segment. Mm. You've had a gutful. I don't <laughs> I've mind had that. Gutful. I've, had a, <laughs> I've had a 29 year gutful. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, I'll throw this over to both of you. Cause Christian, you're the stats guy and Jake, you're the Brownlow guy, but the bonds quiet week won't stop him from winning the Brownlow. I won't stop him from winning the Brownlow. I don't, yeah. I, Has I, he wrapped I, it up? Do you think already? He hasn't no, wrapped I, it up. I still got Clayton Oliver very, very high in my thinking. Um, but again, that's yeah, that's just a personal opinion. Um, oh, it's again, there's probably three or four guys that you, you, you couldn't say it was wrong if they won it. With Jack McRae probably in that group as well. So uh, it's a it's a three horse race. So the premiership's a two horse race, and the Brownlow's three. It's Bont and Pally, Oliver and Wines, and nobody else. I think they're clearly the three ahead of the pack. Jack McRae was my pick at the start of the uh, start of the season. I'd love for him to win it. And he, I think he'll poll better than people expect purely because of the numbers he he has. And he'll poll lots of ones and, and maybe some twos. But I think Bont's had so many great games. Oliver's had so many great games. And um, the difference with Wines is he hasn't got a lot of players there that will be taking a lot of votes off him in, in a team that's won, won a lot of games. Whereas Melbourne, you know, you look at Petrarca's had best on ground games. Gorn's had best on ground games. Salem's had best on ground games. So probably harder to get those threes, but yeah, I think it's out of those three. And I think he's got one hand on it. If he can have another big game uh, this week, who the Bulldogs got this week off the top of my head. I'm thinking I did the preview before and I've it's already slipped out of my mind. <laughs> they got Essendon. Essendon. They got Essendon. So if you can have a big game against the Bombers, but you know, then you got Parrish and, and Merritt who are also sort of top 10 chances at the moment. Top seven chances. So they got the Hawks uh, the week after. Yeah. So um, yeah, he's got one hand on at the moment, but um, 
you know, so has so has Ollie Wines and, and Clayton Oliver. It'll be it's to be honestly, the Brownlow for most people is kind of boring. I, I like it all. I always like it, even if someone wins by 20 votes. But this year's count is going to be an epic because it's going to be super close. Normally, this point of the year, you 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 know pretty much who's won it. They're you, it's they're almost an unbackable favorite. But to have um oh, I think it's three, but there's real realistically probably six or seven that are within a, a best on grain. Seems like it'll be a high half. count. I, think it'll still be I still think 32 votes will be the number. About 32, 32. 33 will win it. Um, I've got Bont and Pally on 29 and a half right now and yeah. and uh, Wines on 28, I think. And There's a prop bet for you all at home? Oh, it'll be over 30. It'll mm-hmm. no doubt be over 30. Um, but um, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating count with so many players that are, that are potentially going to hold pole in the high 25s. Uh, thank you, everyone at home, for for your ears again this week. It's uh, it's been a fun episode. Um, Jake, thank you. Uh, Olympics will be over by the time we speak to you next, so there'll be no talk of that at the top or uh, distractions like you are watching the TV now. How's Luka Doncic going? Oh, it's finished. I tell you what, though, I don't know if any of our audience have been watching the basketball, the Olympics, but the American slash Canadian guy, I don't know, that's calling the basketball. You said it before. It sounds like he's commentating a funeral. That need guy to get is horrible. Rowan doesn't mind uh, having to go at commentators. You should have got him on this week. So. Yeah, true. Uh, I'm sure the guy's a nice guy. Never heard his voice before, but man, he's boring. Doncic hits a three. He's like, Doncic, he's got it. <laughs> All right, let's wrap that up. Uh, get your footy tips in. A couple of rounds left. So if it's uh, close at your workplace or amongst family or friends, uh, don't forget, uh, especially with games changing and venues and all that, uh, make sure you do check before the games start uh, and get your tips in. Christian, thanks for joining us. Jake, thank you. And to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.